0: Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. In this discussion with Ann Montgomery and Sarah Slocum, the co-directors of the program to improve elder care at Altarum, we'll talk about a survey of nursing home residents, which provides a look at the impact of social isolation on those living in facilities and the toll it has taken on their physical and emotional health during COVID-19.
1: Hi, I'm Lori Smotanka with the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care, and welcome to today's episode of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. In March 2020, as COVID was beginning to spread through nursing homes at alarming rates and we were seeing how deadly this virus was for residents, the federal and state governments issued orders to severely restrict who could enter facilities. As a result, all visitors, families, friends, members of the community, long-term care ombudsman and other advocates, everyone was prohibited from entering. Virtual visits were offered in some places, but that was not a viable option for many. At the same time that the visitation restrictions were put into place inside the facilities residents were required to stay in their rooms, often with their doors shut to the hallways, their meals were eaten alone in their rooms and they had very little contact with others, the residents became very isolated. So not long after the restrictions were put into place, our special guests that we're going to be talking to today decided to survey residents of nursing homes and learn more about what was happening with them and what the impact was of the changes that had been put into place due to the pandemic. The results of that survey provide a look at that impact and the toll it has taken on the physical and emotional health of residents. So our special guests today are Ann Montgomery and Sarah Slocum. They're the co-directors of the program to improve elder care at Alterum, a nonprofit research and consulting organization that creates and implements solutions to advance health among at-risk and disenfranchised populations. They both have very distinguished backgrounds. Sarah is the former state long-term care ombudsman Michigan worked at Michigan AARP and has been very active in policy and advocacy activities, both in Michigan and nationwide. And Anne was also a previous senior advisor for the United States Senate Special Committee on Aging, was an analyst for the Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives and the Government Accountability Office, and has extensive experience working on Medicare, Medicaid, and related programs. I think if I read both of your full bios, we'd be here for the entire time. So (laughs) we abbreviated just a bit. But it's great. have both of you joining me today. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. So um, what what do you think the initially the um, visitation ban meant for nursing home residents and your families and their families? Why were you interested in you know thinking about where else to go with this and and to start you know thinking about the need to do research in this area? Well,
2: I'll start. This is Ann. Hi, everybody. And I would just say that we were very concerned talking to people like you, Lori, and and many others around the country to hear that, you know, family visitation had been effectively, you know, cut off, prohibited uh, for the most part uh, at the national level uh, as of March, uh, 2020. And uh, so we really knew that residents uh, or or thought we knew that residents would not do well um, uh, if the isolation uh, continued over a period of time. And at that time, of course, nobody knew how long it would last. So uh, Sarah and I talked about it and we talked about it with our colleagues and we thought, what can we do to really uh, address this? What would be meaningful and impactful? And we did come up with the idea of doing a survey of uh, residents themselves and, and to get their voices. So we set out to do that and um, we posted it in July uh, online as an online survey. We ended up with um, 36 states and 365 residents who responded. And that was really uh, due in part to the distribution that we had with Consumer Voice, Ombudsman, Leading Age, HCA, many other partners. And uh, we we heard a lot from residents about really what their direct experience was. So I'll stop there and let Sarah um, provide her thoughts too. Uh, Yeah, so
3: in uh, March of 2020, in addition to family members um, not being able to visit, we were concerned about some other uh, environmental factors that were going on, like surveyors were only doing infection control-related surveys, Uh, so that's another set of eyes and ears that was very scarce at that time in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And there were certain types of data that CMS um, allowed nursing homes to, to stop, providing timely for a while. So there were numerous ways that nobody was seeing what's going on inside those walls. Um, we started, uh, as Anne said, talking about it internally and figuring out what, how could we possibly address this. We were also at the same time watching the publications, watching the literature, and we noticed there were surveys of you know nurses and surveys of hospitals workers and different kinds of folks, nobody was talking directly with nursing home residents. Mm-hmm. And that is really challenging. Many residents have communication problems. Many mm-hmm. residents are living with dementia. Um, and so their families really are um, a day-to-day lifeline, not just for information about what's happening, but families actually often go in and provide care. So all of this got to be very alarming to us. And then as Anne described, we, we spent the summer figuring out what can, what, what's within our wheelhouse that we can do. And came up with the survey. We had some really great colleagues who are experts at creating and fielding surveys, and um, once we got it out in the field, we, we were very pleased with, with the kind of response we got. And We had a lot of help. We had a lot of help. We got, um, because again, everybody thinks about how do you survey nursing home residents, it right. is challenging. So we reached out to all our friends like Consumer Voice. Um, like the National Network of Ombudsmen, and we got a lot of help from ombudsmen. Just letting people know that this exists out here. Please go take the survey if you're a nursing home resident. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the American Healthcare Association and Leading Age and groups mm-hmm. like that that work with and represent providers put it in their newsletters. So we just, you know, called on all our friends and acquaintances and said, "Please help. We we have no funding to do this, but we've got to make it happen." And and Absolutely. we were able to get. 365 responses, which uh, from 36 states, we're very pleased.
1: Which I think is fantastic considering, you know, the fact that residents were so isolated and so many did not have the ability themselves to access technology to use. So I I think it was a great response. Talk about some of the um, examples of questions that you asked of residents, because it was really important to really try to get at what it was that they were experiencing. I know that was a real goal of yours. Sure, Um, just one
2: more uh, factor to to emphasize before we dive into that. Mm -hmm. And and that is that as we know early in the pandemic, uh, it was already clear that nursing homes were being hit really the hardest Mm and perhaps assisted living facilities in terms of the vulnerability of residents and also the uh, exposure as it turns out of uh, staff, uh, coming into the facilities who often do work in more than one nursing home in order to make ends meet. And uh, the COVID spread you know, in facilities was, was very high and the morbidity and the mortality rate was very high. So that was a backdrop also um, for us wanting to, to take action if you will, and come up with a survey and then, and then some recommendations. So um, the kinds of questions that we asked, we're mainly focused on sort of a, initially a before and after look you know, of what was your life like before COVID-19? Um, you know, how many times a week did you go out? Um, did you have visitors? How many times a week before COVID-19 and then after? So we drew those, um, those comparisons and they were very stark. And that's one reason we wanted to do the survey as quickly as we could uh, so that, you know, people remembered, you know, what life was like and, and could reflect on that as well as what happened, uh, you know, starting really in, in mid-March or so. And we also asked some questions about uh, staffing and advanced care directives and uh, feelings about uh, risk and how, how many risks uh, residents felt like they, they wanted to take and how safe they felt. We asked some questions about technology uh, since the online world is obviously something that we're using right now and is very important you know, to people who are uh, isolated you know, physically. And uh, in order to find out really how wired nursing homes were and, and how accessible um, some of the technology that we love to use is to nursing home residents, so we we tried to do um, quite a bit really to paint a picture of life uh, in a nursing home before and then during COVID.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know as we were talking, you know, when you were developing the survey, that I think the questions hit on all of the issues that we were hearing from residents that they were certainly you know concerned about um not just what was happening in their facilities but i think the risk Issue was a really good one too in terms of what they were willing to accept, and we have heard quite a bit from residents, you know, afterwards about um, the decisions were being made for them. So I, you know, I think hearing from the residents directly um, really is very powerful, and and so glad that you did the survey. Um, so talk a little bit about what your survey found um, and what what were some of the results and what were the residents telling you.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: some of the uh, I'll start out.
3: Um, i got a lot of findings. So we found that 76% were lonelier. I mean, some of these findings are very common sense and not surprising, but it is interesting to have the direct response from residents to build a little bit of data Mm -hmm. around what's happening. So 76% were lonelier. One surprising finding, at least to me, was that residents were not only restricted from seeing their, having visitors from the outside, they were restricted to their own rooms. Residents reported not having been able to even leave their room for months Mm -hmm. on end. They weren't uh, many times allowed to go outdoors. Mm-hmm. Even in the earlier CDC guidance, outdoors and, and this was during the summer months, so you know, quite a nice climate in many parts of the country. Um, outdoors was one of the safer uh, environments in terms of COVID spread. You had less of the because you know the air in a in a sealed environment where you're just sharing germs, but the outdoors was considered much safer. And, Residents weren't even being assisted to get outdoors, being allowed to get outdoors, no fresh air for months on end. Um, residents, a little bit surprising to me, they were not as concerned about their safety in terms of the virus. And, and that may be partly that staff were doing as best they could you know, with limited PPE in some cases, but staff were trying to follow protocols and keep them safe. Um, and they felt that they were, um, you know, the majority felt they were being adequately kept safe from the virus, but other factors were, were really impacting them. We heard about food quality uh, going down, more stress on staffing levels, because of course, just as uh, residents are impacted by the virus, staff and their families were impacted. And even things like availability of childcare for the staff's children mm-hmm. was impacted. So they are more strained than ever on just having adequate staff in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we we also heard from residents in an open-ended question, um, very poignant quotes and some very um, touching um, comments that residents made about what life was like for them. Several of them commented about feeling like, this is like living in prison, um, feeling like they wanted to give up, losing weight. And uh, we found in the literature, some, some n- newer theories of the use of the term failure to thrive, which is, you know, originally applied to, uh, newborn infants and young babies when they're not nurtured and, and they have some and emotionally, um, not cared for that they have a physical impact they don't mm-hmm. gain weight, they don't eat, they don't respond, they don't develop and, um, elders experienced some parallel things, mm-hmm. The lack of emotional connection and the lack of care for their emotional well being was causing weight loss, social withdrawal, losing verbal abilities, yeah. um, dementia advancing faster. So, those were really um, surprising and stark findings to me. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, and, and th- they, they seem to be exacerbated, you know, very much so by the long-term isolation that unfortunately um, was a, you know, a side effect, if you will, of the pandemic. It's almost as though, you know, the severe isolation that caused severe loneliness and resulted in both physical harm as well as, um, you know, harm to mental well-being was, was its own, you know, secondary pandemic is kind of how we think about it uh, inside the nursing home walls. Right. So. We really very much hope that uh, nursing homes are, are able at this point and have been for a while to, to not do that, uh, to have appropriate safety precautions in place and adequate staffing uh, and uh, enough creativity and enough um, connectivity you know, to the online world in order to be able to uh, keep residents uh, connected you know, to, to their lives, to the people they love, to activities that they've been uh, familiar with Uh, It is the last several years of their lives in many cases, and uh, to have somebody in kind of a a jail-like situation is is obviously tremendously harmful, and we did actually come across some interesting research. We didn't do it ourselves, but there has been an excess mortality above and beyond what uh, has happened with COVID-19. That's very striking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, some of that may be due to the severe harm from social isolation. And one researcher, Steve Kay, in California, has calculated it as an, uh, 15% higher than otherwise expected, or f- about 40,000 additional uh, elders. So we need to address this issue of social isolation, which has been with us for a long time in the nursing home setting, just not very noticed. Um, you know, much more systemically and much more thoroughly uh, than we have. And I think COVID-19 has really pointed to that.
1: Right. I, You know, I, I think it's so important that you were able to get this feedback from the residents who were able to tell. And I think, you know, something that you just said, Anne, is in is in terms of the um, isolation having been a systemic problem, I think even before COVID, you know, we know that so many residents have been isolated, but, um, and that isolation is a is a big problem for people, but I think as with many other systemic issues that we've experienced with long-term care, the one of isolation has really been exacerbated now and had the spotlight shown on it, because what of the residents who weren't able to respond to your survey, Uh Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and when you think about the isolation that the people who were experiencing, who were able to respond, you think about all those who weren't, um, who couldn't do the virtual visitation with their families, for example, or not able to participate even in the limited activities that might have been presented before them. Many didn't have even televisions in their rooms, because if Mm -hmm. you don't supply one yourself, maybe you don't have one. Um, Mm -hmm. So, it's been it's been really tremendous. And to your point, Sarah, about even like the fresh air, that was one of the shocking things. You know that people weren't even able to yeah. get fresh air. Um, one resident had told us they wouldn't even let her open the window in her room. Um, you know, she was kept in her room and not even able to open the window to get fresh air. So that was right. really stunning. So, um, so you know, in terms of um, you know the results, I mean. Sarah you had mentioned you know you were surprised by a couple of them what what really were the most surprising um, results that you think you were presented to you um, based on the research honestly
3: I was a little surprised at the level of confidence that residents expressed about staff trying to keep them safe from the virus
0: hmm.
3: I mean good good for them I, you know it's big part of their job. It's not the only part of their job, but you know, that was, um, that was a little surprising. Um, I was honest, as, as you just mentioned the outdoors, I was a little surprised about that. Um, that the interpretation of what was allowable throughout the summer included just, you know, lock it down, not even going outdoors. Mm -hmm. So those, Mm -hmm. those were surprising to me. Mm -hmm. And as you point out, um, you know, these are the folks who are able to interact with an online survey and and you know participate in that survey. It's um, I think we're going to find even more stark results when people are routinely visiting again, and we can see what's been happening mm-hmm. with the folks who have cognitive impairment um, or some other impairment that kept them from participating. Yeah, so, that's a little scary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the extension even of the failure to thrive, as you know, you both have mentioned, and, and that impact was um, really striking as well. Um, The fact that because we, you know, we're hearing similar things about the impact on a person's not just physical ability, but cognitive ability. um, As a result of this isolation, we were hearing that a lot from family members, um, also. Um, So, I mean, as you looked at this, I know um, you were looking at a variety of recommendations um, and, you know, things that, um, that based on what the residents told you, um, facilities uh, might be able to do, or even policies we might need to think about um, in terms of, you know, how we move forward to prevent this happening again. I think, you know, I think we learned a lot from this. And um, so what, what did you not just from the results, but what what are your takeaways? What did you learn, you know, from this in terms of thinking through, okay, if we're ever in this situation again, heaven forbid, you know, we're not even out of it. But, you know, we, I think we need to be thinking for the future, how we address the issues now, how we address them for the future. What are some of the things that, um, some of the conclusions you came to? Well,
2: I'll start. I think that, you know, social isolation has sort of Um, shined a light on um, the quality of life in in nursing homes and how important it is really to elders health and also really the emotional health of family members who are trying to support them uh, and living in the community. Um, Quality of life really has always been kind of secondary, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. to quality of care in the nursing home model of care. And I'm thinking that the, uh, the pandemic has pointed out that uh, quality of life must be treated as equally important really, uh, because if you don't pay attention to it and you do have extreme circumstances like severe social isolation leading to severe loneliness, leading to all kinds of um, you know, feelings of despondency, physical withdrawal, acceleration of dementia, worsening of heart disease and so on, then then, uh, I think we're we're not doing a good job, obviously, uh, with people living in uh, residential long-term care settings for whom this is their last home. So I I think we have a long way to go uh, to address this problem, um, which has been with us for a while. And there are some things we can do, a lot of things we can do, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, At the nursing home level, we have been somewhat encouraged to hear that uh, homes that are uh, creative, uh, that do things like, you know, help residents figure out how to eat, not by themselves with the door closed, but maybe at the doorway of their room and and being able to see other people at the doorways of their rooms, in their hallways, you know, something simple like that can make a big difference. Uh, There is uh, such a concept uh, in Canada, they call it distance socializing, where you really can arrange for group activities uh, with that social distancing built in, you don't have to just cut it off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's been somewhat encouraging. Mm -hmm. Um, There seems to be a need to report a lot more on social isolation, whether that's ombudsman, I know there are codes, and we're interested in exploring those codes, the complaint codes, and and seeing if there are patterns that correlate with um, not much visitation and and poor, you know, quality of care, and and, uh, to shine a light on that. We're interested in having nursing homes think about assessing residents as they come into a nursing home for the risk of social isolation Mm -hmm. and the kinds of things they would like to do in order to thwart that. And uh, we're interested in Congress paying more attention to this and hope they do, as well as, of course, uh, the executive branch, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So there really is a lot we can do. And we made a number of recommendations. Those are just a few. Uh, in our report. We hope you'll take a look at it. And Sarah, you probably want to say a a, a little bit more about some of the others. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And uh, Anne touched on
3: a really important one, which is just assessing residents. You know, there's a detailed assessment that already happens when someone enters a nursing home and then it's updated quarterly. There really needs to be more, and CMS could put out guidance and and teach homes how to do this. You know, it doesn't just have to be a a black box that's mysterious. How to assess for current loneliness, for risk of loneliness, isolation, what kind of connections work for individual residents and how to plan for that, make mm-hmm. it part of the care plan, not just clinical, you know, how you're managing your diabetes, how you're managing your loneliness, right. how you're managing your connectedness in the positive mm-hmm. sense. So that's very important. We also had some ideas about things, you know, as, as residents need support and help, those who take care of them also need help and support in order mm-hmm. to do a good job of that, in order to be able to address residents' needs you know, in terms of physical care, but also to connect with residents. So staff need more support. They need, first of all, adequate PPE. If we're in this kind of a pandemic, nursing homes need to be prioritized for that along with other kinds of providers, but, you know, they need to have the basic equipment. We need basic numbers of staff to be able to perform the tasks and then be able to spend that little extra time building relationship with residents. We need um, staff to be supported in areas like their own, health and their family's well-being. So they need right. paid leave if they get sick. They need some sort of support so that their families can be taken care of so they can come to work. Yes. So there's a lot that, that we can do um, both at the individual um, nursing home level. Nursing homes can adopt some of these just as personnel policies, but also at the bigger level, CMS and Congress looking at how is this how is this type of care actually run? And what what can we do at a policy level to make it better? So assessing for loneliness, also assessing for the level of risk. Mm -hmm. Some people really want to be complete, and this is true of everyone, not just people in nursing homes. Some people really want to be closed off, take the maximum um, no risk scenario and apply it to their lives and say, I just don't want to have exposure to this virus in any way. And other people feel more like if I did that, I would suffer too much. I need to mitigate my risk, but I'm willing to take a little risk. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are willing to socialize with masks and some distancing. Other people feel like that's too risky. So we need to really, instead of just plunking a one size fits all or fits no one, frankly, right. solution onto this, um, we need to really talk with people and, and consider their whole person and what kind of risk they're willing to take.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, that's an important concept, that dignity of risk concept. And uh, um, we look forward to exploring that further, you know, in, in work that we do on an ongoing basis. Um, it is, it should be, you know, really up to the individual uh, resident to decide uh, as much as possible, you know, what their tolerance is uh, mm-hmm. for certain kinds of risks uh, within, of course, uh, the umbrella of larger uh, community safety, of course, but uh, they, they do need to, you know, be able to make those decisions uh, for themselves. I want to say a quick word on the online uh, communication mm-hmm. And that's, I think, very important. And I know there's been some freeing up of funding. Um, I believe it's civil monetary penalty funding for right. tablets and, and other um, connecting devices, which is great uh, for residents. And in our survey, uh, we asked, cause we really wanted to know, so what's the baseline? And we asked, um, does your nursing home have access to Wi-Fi?" 67% of respondents said yes. We asked residents if they had themselves, you know, their own device or access to uh, a device that the home would lend them. Almost half, 47% said yes. But when we said, okay, so does the nursing home help you, you know, get on to whatever website you're interested in or participate in an activity, have any programming, the answer was either no or I don't know, uh, 45% and 28% respectively. So that indicates there's not much going on uh, in terms of active help uh, and programming yeah. uh, by nursing home staff for residents, uh, and that could really change. And we hope that that is one of the things that that we can all work on together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know so many of the points that you've both just made are really important in terms of um, looking at not only the individual and how they can be assessed and, and how we can do care planning and provide support for everyone, you know, each resident at the individual level, but we also need to be looking at facility policies and facility activities. I mean, we've seen some great examples of engagement and activities and, Um, working to keep residents connected. Um, And so, uh, you know, I do hope that we can learn even from some best practices that have been done well, you know, around the country during this time. Uh, Because even as we've talked to residents, residents across the country have had very different experiences um, with this pandemic. Um, and, uh, And so there have been some facilities and administrators who have done a good job. And and others not so much. And so we need to look at them and then again, look at policy issues and how we can support, um, you know, better policies within facilities, both for virtual engagement, as well as for in-person engagement and thinking about what that looks like. Um, You know, I know as we're um, moving through um, this pandemic we you know i think we see light at the end of the tunnel hopefully that now that vaccines are in place and um but we still got a way to go ways to go before you know we are fully reopen and life is i guess semi quote back to normal Mm -hmm. you know um in terms of what that looks like so um so what are your next steps with respect to um work in this area what what are you going to be focusing on moving forward well, um, a couple of different things. We would like to continue
2: to look at uh, the social isolation issue, mm-hmm. and we are thinking about looking at the ombudsman uh, data that comes in uh, that you know so well, Lori, and, and Sarah know so well, and just trying to see if we can discern a pattern of uh, either improvement or, or worsening mm-hmm. or no change uh, compared to before the pandemic. So we hope to be able to do that. And we also hope to focus a lot on staffing, which I know is a, is a subject yeah. that Consumer Voice has been leading the charge on for mm-hmm. decades. And it is gonna come down to trying to create a better nursing home model of care, we think, that has a more stable staffing model. And there are a number of ways to do that. And you know, those are all really good policy discussions and, and sometimes uh, vigorous uh, political debates Uh, but I think that we're going to absolutely have to do it. I think there's an opportunity to do it Um, in this administration. I believe they're interested. Uh, I believe there's a lot of focus on healthcare heroes. Um, We hear about more in the hospital sector, but we can certainly shine a light on the many healthcare heroes we have in the nursing home sector as well. And really look to trying to improve, you know, the wages of direct care staff 15 an hour and and up uh, to putting in place training uh, programs that uh, we, we don't have. And there's no reason we can't have them. They have been developed in many cases. right? Mm-hmm. And there are a number of other things. And um, I know that we've done a, a study that Sarah could talk a little bit about in, in Michigan that uh, looked at what was going on in the state where we are he- headquartered, Altarum. So Sarah, you might want to say something about that. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So um,
3: along with a, another agency called PHI, Altarum conducted a study for state of Michigan about the long-term supports and services workforce in Michigan. And um, for those of us who've been working in and around long-term supports and services for a long time, not terribly surprising, but as Ann noted, the wages are on average in Michigan um, about $12 and change per hour. And that varies from minimum wage essentially uh, up to about $14 an hour. But that's for an extremely difficult and now dangerous job Mm-hmm. So staff wages are clearly a really important thing. We found a huge majority don't have benefits.
1: Right.
3: So their own health care is either dependent on a public, publicly funded program like Medicaid, or they have none in many cases. Um, they typically don't have any paid leave. So if they get sick, that means the rent isn't getting paid at their apartment or house.
1: Right.
3: Not that they just have to go home and be sick. So all those things, that economics really interacts with spreading the virus because uh-huh. we also found that many of these workers in long-term sports and services, they have to work more than one job. Uh-huh. So they have to work maybe some shifts at a nursing home. Maybe they're also working for a home health agency. They're in multiple settings, just magnifies the exposure potentials for the disease, as well as their own economic situations. They're living in crowded housing because they don't have um, a lot of resources. Their own housing is oftentimes imperiled their resources are just so stretched that, you know, when they're hit with a pandemic, they've got the lack of training, they've got the low wages, they've got the lack of benefits. So who could be surprised at the outcomes we're seeing? Mm-hmm. So we, we see a lot of potential. There's a lot of current energy around improving things in this realm and starting with policies, which is where you go got to start. And mentioned $15 an hour. That would be a great improvement for many mm-hmm. of these workers. And from there, we've just got to build on, strengthening their training, strengthening their their ability to safely do this job, both for the person they're caring for and for their own selves and be able to stay in the job. Mm-hmm. And you've got to make the job a quality job that that becomes a career so that people are enabled to provide quality care.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the, um the Impact on the staff and the conditions, the working conditions of the staff so directly impact not just the care being provided to the individuals, but their quality of life also. Um, And I think your survey showed that. um, I know certainly we've been hearing that from residents as well, um, directly from residents as well, about how they were serving as supports for the staff. Because of um, because of the the burdens um, on staff because of short staffing and lack mm-hmm. of support and lack of equipment and all of those other things, um, so we absolutely have to address the issue with respect to staff in order to improve the conditions for residents. They're they're right. not separate. They're they're tied together. Um, right. So. For the people who listen for um, this webinar, we've got a range of people who are, you know, family members, we've got people who are interested in policy and in making a difference. I mean, we would encourage people who are concerned about their loved ones, the residents, the staff, to um, contact not only their ombudsman program to Um, ask for help or file complaints if you're concerned about um, the care or the quality of life that the residents are experiencing. Also to contact their policymakers um, uh, about um, conditions in long-term care facilities and the need to um, do better. And um, uh, why don't you give the um, website address for Altarum where people can find your report so that they can see not only the survey Mm -hmm. results, but also the recommendations that you have put forward. So if, if people could go to Altarum, that's altaru
3: org slash eldercare. They will find um, our work about the survey, also culture change work that we're undertaking with nursing homes to try to improve the whole environment and workforce. Um, so all the things we've been talking about, it's altarum.org slash eldercare.
1: Great. Thank you. And we will um, also, uh, I know we do link to the report on our website at theconsumervoice.org, but we'll make sure to put a link to it where we post the recording of our conversation this morning as well. So um, we wanted to um, end the conversation with you, as, uh, as we mentioned, as I talked to you before we started on. We have been talking with residents quite a bit about their experiences. And we thought it fitting as since we're talking about the impact on residents to hear a resident's voice about what the impact has been on her um, from the isolation. So Katie is gonna queue up a recording for us um, so that we can hear that for just a minute. I, I think it'll be um, very impactful for our listeners. Katie, can you cue that up?
2: When they've been cooped up in a room and can't have anybody come see you. I can't have anybody come see me. I don't get to see my family. I haven't seen my family in months. So I just, I, I just think that need, it just needs to come out. Yeah. I mean, There's... it's not all roses around the
1: door. It's, it's very difficult for us. I think the message sent um, by this resident who um, is a woman we've had the pleasure to get to know over the past several months um, and the experience that she's having is really telltale for many of the residents that we've talked to and for those that responded um, and responded to your survey. And we can do better for them, can't we? We can do much yes. better for them.
2: Absolutely.
1: Look forward to working with you to make that happen. Saying here. We will. Absolutely, we definitely can. So um, for those that are interested in uh, making a difference in this area, I would really encourage you to read the report um, that Sarah and Ann have worked on, um, look at the recommendations. And I know we look forward as we just mentioned to working with both of you and and other colleagues on how we can make a difference and uh, make a better impact for people that are living in these facilities. So thank you so much. Thanks for coming on today and sharing. The work thank that you, you're Lori. Doing. Thank so you, Katie. Thank
0: you, Consumer
1: Voice. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Great to have you.
0: Thanks for joining us on pursuing quality long-term care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org/pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.